Bibles or if you have your phone app or whatever you use, please find Matthew chapter 22 verses 34 through 40. When I was uh, younger uh, and significantly younger, 18 or so, and I want, I don't know, 30 something, 40 something years ago, I don't know. <laughs> I've lost track. I can't do math anymore. Uh, but I used to worry about what was God's will for my life. Uh, almost, I mean, just like every day, God, show me your will for my life. And, you know, I was thinking in terms of, you know, at, at that time, ministry. And uh, people assured me that music ministry was not in my future. Um, now, someone in this church has said to one of my daughters that you enjoy my singing. And I want to meet you because I haven't got a lot of encouragement at that part of my life ever, particularly from my family. But um, what most people mean when they say, I want to know God's will, is th are things like that. What's the big thing you want me to do? What do you want me, uh, where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to live? Where do you, who do you want me to marry? What occupation do you want me to have? But most of Scripture, when it talks about God's will for your life, is talking about just the daily little things that you're to do and to take part in, and to be a part of. See, God cares about the mundane, the daily life, just as much as he cares about the big things that we think he might have for us to do. And in our text today, Jesus gives a clear word about how we should live and about how we should relate to other people. Uh, so, uh, let me give you some background on what's going on here leading up to this text I'm about to read. Now, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's in the last days, last week or so of his life on this earth, his ministry. And he, he is in the temple. He's teaching. And the different religious groups, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they're coming at him with these questions. And they're trying to trap him and trying to get trying to trip him up to find something they can charge him with. And uh, the Pharisees has, have been sending their students, you know, they call them over to the corner, go ask him this, ask him about taxes. That'll get people mad. No one likes to pay taxes. Go get him. And they'd go and they'd ask the question and Jesus would shoot it down. Then they would go back and they'd go back and forth. Eventually the Sadducees came and, and asked a question about, uh, about a woman who was married and got married many times and who, who's... Uh, who would be her husband in the resurrection. It was sort of a ridiculous question because they didn't believe in a resurrection. So they were just trying to make fun of the concept and Jesus shoots them down real easily. And then the Pharisees are like, hey, he just told off the people we don't like. Let's ask him another question. So they ask him a question about what is the greatest command. And that was an issue that they debated quite often. It was something they asked, you know, what's the greatest command in God's law? What's the most important thing we can be about? What is God's will? Was their question. So they asked him in verses 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, this was a question that had evidently been asked more than once of Jesus. We find in Luke that there was a lawyer who asked the same question and Jesus answered and then he gave the parable of the the Good Samaritan. We find here this group of Pharisees asking him this question and apparently they came with some mixed motives. One came to test him to to see where he stood and if, if Jesus was okay on this issue. There's evidently another one in the crowd who's very much interested and had a genuine interest. Like, what's he going to say? I want to know. And then when Jesus answered, he said, good answer, and got all excited about it. But, you know, it's, when we think about this, you know, it's like, okay, just two commands I have to live up to. Love God, love others. Simple enough. Until you meet others. then it gets a bit harder. (laughs) We live today, and there's there's an issue I have to address, because sometimes people look at this text and they talk about, oh, implied in here is self-love. Self-love's very important. But self-love is a problem and feature in our culture. It's not a virtue in the sense of the way we practice it. Now, let me explain what I mean before you grab pitchforks or anything like that. Self-love in our culture has become the highest good. In some ways, you know, it's it's an understandable reaction to some things. You know, our, our young people are bombarded more than ever with, you know, their image has to be a certain way, and they have to look a certain way, and they have to be a certain way, or else they're unacceptable. So we respond by trying to help them have better esteem, and there's nothing wrong with that. But there is an extreme out there that things have been carried to. Uh, a few weeks ago, there was an um, opinion piece in the New York Times. And I only read the opinion page of the New York Times when my blood pressure is low. But it's an instant cure. But there was this piece about a woman who, um, she was in a good marriage, loved her children, loved her husband. They loved her. Nothing abusive, nothing wrong. But she got a divorce. And the reason was self-love. She had to do something to make herself happy happier. And she talked about the virtue of radical self-love, where my happiness is the most important thing I can pursue. And if others that I may love get hurt as I pursue it, so be it. Jesus, in this passage, he assumed self-love. He didn't highlight it. He assumed, and it's not true for everyone, but he assumed everyone has a basic sense of, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to eat. I'm going to clothe. I'm going to, to bathe. Doesn't fit all children. 
but you know, I'm, I'm going to do these things to take care of myself. I have a certain amount of self-interest that's just natural to being a human being. Biblically, self-love, our care for ourselves and our preservation of ourselves flows out of two truths. One is God created us. And we are created in his image. And because we bear his image, we should, to a certain extent, steward that image in us. Take care of ourselves. Uh, live our lives in a healthy way. Uh, God loves us. He gave his son for us. So we have some value to God. And our self-love, our self-esteem starts there in what God has done for us. And from that foundation, we're able to live God-honoring lives with self-respect and personal care that doesn't go overboard to this radical self-love. We steward our lives and we surrender our lives to God the question is, how do we do that? Well, Jesus says here, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Jesus was quoting uh, a passage that the Jews called the Shema. It's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. You don't have to look there. But for the Jewish people, that was, those verses were the, the foundational part of their covenant relationship with God. That there is one God and I am to love him with all my being. And they recited that passage from memory twice a day. So when Jesus quoted it, the Pharisees were like, yeah, I know that one. Now, some look at this and say, okay, all our heart, how do I do that? All our soul, what do I do there? All my mind, how do I do that? But Jesus isn't breaking down life into these little compartments. See, Jew, the Jewish concept of humanity was not that we are uh, mind, soul, body, you know, spirit, and all that. They didn't divide us out that way. To them, being human was all that together. So when Jesus quoted this, he's saying, love God with everything you are, with every part of your being, with every aspect of your life, love God. Now, loving God is key to other aspects of our relationship to him. Uh, in John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So if we love God, we obey. We do what he says. Now, there, there's no room to say, uh, you know, I, I love God. Yeah, I love God, but I, I, I don't care about anything else he has to say. I'm not in his word. I'm not with his people. I love God, but I'm ignoring everything he has to do with my life. Love is not a warm, fuzzy feeling about God. You know, it, it's, not, it's not like the first time my eyes met with my wife's eyes. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. It's more like after 30 years of marriage, you know, I am being careful. <laughs> you know, you know it, it, it is more like, you know, just commitment. 
There's no one else I want to be with. That better? <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a life surrendered to God, a crucified life, where we put ourselves to death so that we might live for Him. That's the love He's talking about. And that's why radical self-love that says, I'm going to pursue my happiness first, has no place in a Christian's life. Because I, to love God means I must surrender my interest, my goals, what I want in life for what he wants. To be Christ's disciple requires a whole of life love for God. It requires a commitment. It requires what Eugene Peterson, way he defined discipleship as a long obedience in one direction. And that's the Christian life. If we love God, we are also steadfast for him. In James chapter 1, James wrote, Blessed is the man who, who remains steadfast under trials, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. See, to remain steadfast, to remain firm, to stand up as so many of our brothers and sisters around the world do under intense persecution requires love for God. Our capability to remain steadfast and persevere in our faith is connected to our love for God. People may say, I'm willing to die for Jesus, but you've got to live for him first. Being a faithful follower of Christ will become more and more odd in today's culture. Just accept we are going to be the oddballs. We are going to be the ones who look different. And following God is going to be more and more costly. To remain steadfast, you must love God. And a life of loving and walking with God leads to a life of being in his presence. My goal in life, one of my goals in life, besides lose two or three more pounds, is when I go to heaven, when I'm in the presence of Christ, I want to have lived such a way now and walked with him in such a way now that when I'm there, I have a sense I've been there before. And that's only possible if I love him supremely above all else. As things get more difficult for us, in this life, in this place, in this time, the command like to this one gets harder. The command to love others. To love your neighbor as yourself. To love your fellow believers. And to love those far from God as well. Now, now this doesn't come easy for me. If you have, perhaps you haven't noticed, but I'm not a people person. You know, I... I in second grade, you know, sitting around the circle and the reading group and the teachers going around saying, 
What do you want to be when you grow up? A teacher, a nurse, a doctor, got to me. What do you want to be when you grow up? A hermit? <laughs> no, that's what I wanted in life. <laughs> and, and there are days, you know, even now I'm like, wow, that, that, I could have lived the dream. You know? <laughs> but too many people, you know, it's difficult for me, but too many people love people as a concept. Oh, I love everyone, just not that one. I love people in general, but people, flesh and blood people, that's harder. So let's break this down a little bit. Let's start with loving God's church, God's people, and your fellow believers. Jesus actually gave those far from God, those lost, a standard by which to judge us. Now, this, some reason this didn't hit me until I was reading a book by Francis Schaeffer about the mark of, of a true Christian. But in John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, what does that love look like? Now, how are we to relate to each other? Well, if self-love is the standard, that means just as I try to take care of myself, I try to take care of you. Just as I try to, you know, help myself be stronger, I try to help you be stronger. I serve you. I take an interest in your spiritual growth. We forgive each other when we hurt each other. And when we disappoint each other. To love others looks like putting self to death that others might live in Christ. And Jesus said, by loving each other that way, the world will know you are my disciples. Perhaps believers fall most short these days in loving those far from God. How do we approach the world that's lost? How do we approach the world out there? Now, I see there's two different camps for this. There's one over here that I'm going to call the burn commie sinner camp. Just burn everybody. You're all a bunch of socialist commies. Burn. And then the camp over here of Oh, there's no such thing as sin. You're all okay. Now, over here, there's just nothing that the world hears but anger. This side fears, the can, fears contamination, fears, fears compromise with what's biblical. And they're more Pharisee than they are Christ-like. Here's the danger. Those of us who are conservative Christians, and I'm not talking about politics at the moment, 
But we take the Bible seriously and take what it says seriously. We take the commands that are there seriously. We are the most in danger of becoming like Pharisees. If you notice something in Scripture, Jesus never condemned those outside the religious system as much as he condemned those inside it blocking people from coming in and knowing God. On this side, there's a lot of truth, but there's not a lot of love. Now, on the other side, there's a lot of love, but there's not a lot of truth. They're willing to lay aside the truth in order for everyone just to feel good, to be happy. They, evaluate, they value acceptance by the world more than they value the truth of God's word. So they try to reframe it and reinterpret it and make it flexible so they can say, I'm sure what God called sin, he wasn't talking about you. And in so doing, they do the most unloving thing possible. See, God is good, and he is just. And when we obey his word and love him and forsake sin to follow him, we flourish. But if I don't think I have to forsake sin, then I just go through the motions. And if this is the message I'm getting, I think I can get away with it. The message of too many today is that there's no sin to forsake. You're okay. God loves you. But in truth, they stand just as much in the way of people coming to know the real, true God of Scripture as those over here that they despise so much. There has to be an alternative. I mean, between burn, commies, and you're okay, have a cookie. <laughs> there has to be an alternative. It has to be like Jesus. See, he could sit with sinners, eat with them, spend time with them, talk with them. He could even point out their sin, and they never stood in, they never had any doubt. That man loves me. That man cares about me. First Peter three, chapter three, verse fifteen. Peter, who walked with Jesus, saw Jesus, saw how he related to people. He he, he told Christians, Christians who were facing great persecution from those around them, he said, "Always be ready to tell people about the hope that's in you, but with gentleness and respect." The only way we can be like Jesus as we relate to those around us, believers, non-believers, the only way to be like him is to deny ourselves, take up our cross, crucify the flesh with its sinful desires, and give our lives completely to Jesus. See, these two commandments 
they're like each other because it takes the same thing to live by both. A denial of self. The only way to love God and others is through a complete surrender of yourself to God. There's a quote from Jesus that we often use around Veterans Day or Memorial Day. No greater love has any man than this than that he lays down his life for his friends. And when we think about the sacrifice people make for our country, you know, it is a great expression of love to lay down your life for your country. But there Jesus was speaking about himself and the love he has for us and that he laid down his lives for us. And he said to his disciples, love each other in the same way I have loved you. Jesus was speaking of his life and his sacrifice on the cross for us. And, he's, and that is the model of love that we are to have in how we love each other and how we love the world. This past week, I, was, uh, uh, I heard a story about a missionary couple. Y'all really didn't think y'all would get out of here without me mentioning missions, did you? <laughs> yeah, they were, uh, I believe their, their names were Dr. and Dr. Kennedy, two couple, married couple, two doctors. They went to Yemen to serve as missionaries. Dif- difficult place to get into, a difficult place to live. Uh, through some circumstances God brought about, they were able to go in, into the interior of that country and find a place that they could work in relative freedom uh, because of some things that they did and ways they helped people. The, um, uh, the woman, uh, the wife, she, uh, she was a universal blood donor. I mean, she could give blood to anyone. And as they were involved in medical missions, the need for blood was great. So she, over and over again, gave blood to the point that she was physically weak and anemic. Out of love for the people, she gave all of herself to help them. That's the model of love. That we're to live by. So the question is, are you willing to love God so much that you spend yourself, that you surrender yourself for him? Are you willing to love your church and unbelievers so much that you give yourself entirely for them? Because that's what God calls us to. That is his will for our lives. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'll be with us here as we enter this time to do business with you, to listen to your spirit, and to obey. Pray if there's anybody here who doesn't know about your love for them, that they would come to know you as Lord and Savior right now. I pray, Father, for anyone who is here who is a believer but they're struggling with unforgiveness, they're struggling with bitterness, they're struggling with anger, that your spirit would free them of that and they would repent now. I pray, Father, that we would accept that you have a call on our lives to care about this community, to care about Milton and Santa Rosa County, 
to give ourselves, to spend ourselves, that others here may know the love of Christ. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand, we'll have a moment of invitation.